Hi, this is Marek Dobrovolsky, partner at Barrett Partners and lead for Place Regeneration and, and Partnerships. Um, since 2020, when the government first announced that it was looking at the creation of, uh, of free ports in the UK, there's been quite a lot of talk about the role that they might play from a regeneration and a placemaking perspective. Um, and certainly that's been amplified since the announcement in 2021 of the eight free ports, um, the largest of which, uh, and arguably the most ambitious, is the Solent Freeport. Um, so therefore, it was absolutely brilliant to get the opportunity to get an inside view and spend some time talking to Brian Johnson, the newly appointed chair of the Solent Freeport, uh, to get his sense on both the challenges and the opportunities facing Freeports, and in particular, how that manifests itself in the Solent. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. As I said, it was fantastic to get that level of insight from Brian. And if uh, anything comes out of this that uh, that is of interest to you, then please do get in touch. Thank you. So, Brian, um, so you've been involved right from the very start, uh, in working closely with government for a Freeport uh, over in the Solent. So why did you feel that it was such an opportunity that had to be seized? The Solent area has been the centre of Britain's trading hub with the world for, well, almost forever. You know, by our geographical location, we've been dealing with it and we have the benefit of the double tides and next to the big shipping lanes. And we're also the hub for a lot of the trade um, from the centre of the country, you know, the Midlands Engine, the Northern Powerhouse. And so when we saw the opportunity to have a Freeport in place, particularly because this new Freeport initiative is really not just about trade, it's about the economic development that goes around trade. We just knew it suited our region. And I was the LEP chair and the LEP worked with all our partners because we have a fairly complex political geography in the Solent and we were asked to pull a bid together. So I worked with all of the political partners to help pull this bid together. And we're, we're really pleased and excited that we were selected and we're now nearly there with being uh, approved as a free board. Mm. And um, as you said, you know, the, the, the Solent's had a, a trading history that goes back millennia. But it was interesting your comment there that this is beyond trade. This is around that true economic development place shaping. So what do you think it is about the Freeport in particular and the status of Freeport that will enable the Solent to do that wider place shaping agenda? So. We've had freeports in the UK before, and they were very much about trading hubs and, and, and making it easier to do that trade. And we have also had other economic initiatives, such as enterprise zones in the UK. What the current freeport legislation does is it brings the two together. So we're, we're bringing in the custom sites which are going to make that trading more efficient, the international trade. And then with the tax sites that go with the English freeports, we're going to build economic enterprise zones around them. So it's going to encourage a, uh, a economic development around trade. And that's what the Freeports have been set up to do. And the, the Solent Freeport is quite unique because it's not just one site. Um, it's, it's across multiple locations, across uh, incredibly large kind of geographical footprint. Um, I'm really interested in, in why that was, was put forward by, by Solent, but also the USP that you think this provides the Solent with? You're right. And and it's one of these necessities, the mother of invention issues that <laughs> the government wanted this to be an intervention at scale Freeport. So you had to find a significant amount of land over 400 up to 600 hectares. 
and it's not feasible to do that on one site in the Solent region. So we went around landowners, um, both councils and private organisations, and stitched together about 450 hectares. We're also only allowed three tax sites, so it was a complicated mm -hmm. negotiation with the Treasury to convince them that what we put together was three sites. But going back to that necessity being the mother of invention, what it's now meant for us is that instead of having a site which has fairly similar um, economic assets, we have now got sites which have got lots of different things. We've got sites if you want to be in the maritime business. We've got sites if you want access to air and rail hubs. We've got sites if you want to be next to uh, motorways. We've got sites across the two cities and the county. So what it's allowed us to have is a much broader economic offering. So if you're a business who, who's looking to come to our region, you've got a really good option of different sites to go, depending what you as a business want to do. And getting that narrative out internationally, nationally, um, I said you're working with, with multiple partners, your own background actually was chairing the economic uh, partnership. So um, what do you think are some of the opportunities, but what are some of the challenges in, in, in a competitive environment about that proposition for Solent and for the Solent Freeport. How, how do you how do you get the message out? Yes, I think uh, there is no question that we have a. It, it's quite hard to brand a region. I mean, I'm sure regions sometimes like their brand, and sometimes they don't. But we all know that the phrase Midlands Engine Northern Powerhouse has stuck. And I think in the Solent region, we're not quite southeast and we're not quite southwest. We're south central, but somebody doesn't you know the bbc for instance doesn't know the south central they think it's either southeast or southwest so so we really need to create that that south central trading hub and i think that's one of our challenges having said that many people in the uk understand it as an economic region mm. because of the way our infrastructure is being put together in the uk you know motorways from the center of england motorways and railways tend to come down towards southampton and portsmouth and people individually think of it as if I'm going on holiday to France, Portsmouth. If I'm going on a cruise ship, I'll go from Southampton. So individually, people understand the South Central region, but internationally, honestly, the phrase Solent doesn't mean a lot. So we need to make sure that, that around the world, and when we're looking at global investment, people see the highlight in our region. I think that goes back to the um, the USP of the different sites we've got. So people do know about Southampton and they do know about Portsmouth and they do know about the Isle of Wight. So it's about picking up the, the what's good about our region and remembering that the phrase Solent or New Forest Waterside don't really help me very much if I'm at an international <laughs> trade conference. Um, your, um, so the government was keen when it kept, when it did the call out for Freeport that there was this focus on wider regeneration and economic economic development, um, and that that program was was right at the heart of the Solis business plan. If you kind of read it, read read, read through it, um, but in practical terms, what do you think that that means for 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 the region? If you were an investor or you're an indigenous business looking to to grow, or actually if you're just looking to settle, or you are settled, your family settled in in the region, what 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 in practical terms will that regeneration agenda look like? We're we obviously live in a great place. 
and people in this area are very happy to live and work here. Yeah. But people also recognise that the opportunities for business expansion have been quite small here because of the thing I said earlier about the lack of land in one place, because of our complicated physical geography. I talked about political geography, mm -hmm. you know, the, the region having three islands, three or almost four peninsulas, if you look at the way the rivers run, so that the transport links have been quite hard. And then we're bounded by a national park, which is a fabulous asset, mm -hmm. but it also challenge, creates um, regeneration issues. So I think what this Freeport initiative has allowed us to do is to do something with the local authorities and with communities that we can set some boundaries around de development that's right for our region. And our region is really special and people care about it. But what we've set up with this Freeport is, is tax sites where the planning authorities and the Freeport board get a say in what happens there. So yes, we've got this land for regeneration and that's great for the landowners. It's gonna help them get businesses in. But by putting land into it, they're also saying we want the communities to be involved because we've got site specific agreements with all of these owners, mm -hmm. which means the, the rating authorities and the Freeport board get a say in the sort of businesses that come into the area. So what we've really set up is an opportunity to create economic development that's right for our region. And and that's true just as an aside of all the English freeports. I'm sure they'd be saying the same in Teesside and saying the same in uh, Humber and East Midlands and Liverpool. Mm -hmm. And so the beauty of this legislation is it allows each freeport to set up something that's right for their region. And, and you personally, so as you mentioned, so we've had freeports in the UK before. You will have seen through the time that you spent on the board and then chairing the, the, the LEP. You know, we've had strategic economic plans, we've had an industrial strategy, we've had enterprise zones. Kind of Brian Johnson reflecting back into that kind of those experiences. What has that taught you personally that you've carried through into the chair of the Freeport Consortium about how you take these big government interventions or policy decisions, but actually turn it into practical delivery on the ground? You've got to make them stick for the for the long term, not just medium term. So I, I keep saying to people that we're tending to get excited about the date we're finally officially a free port sometime yeah. in the next couple of months where the first set of the seed corn money is released. But that's not the that's not the finishing line. That's absolutely the start line. And this legislation is in place. It's planned for 25 years. So what we need to do is embed something that's going to work beyond this government, beyond the next government. We need to insulate it from the local changes in politics. You know, we, we're quite a volatile region politically. We've got a number of marginal seats, a number of marginal councils. We've got a complex relationship between the counties, the cities and the districts. And really my job as chair is to make this stick across changes in the long term. And I have to say, we've got great partners. This isn't a, an issue at the moment. And I very much see that being my job as chair, which which is interesting because it reflects on you know why we're looking for a chief executive because what we need to go with that is someone who really understands the nuts and bolts of economics development and has done it in other regions and other places and really knows how to how to move this forward mm. um, communicating the narrative around think uh, enterprise zones and, and free ports to you and i because we're kind of steeped in this in this sector um it, 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 it's easy to kind of understand 
but if you are if you're the advanced manufacturing business um that's in portsmouth if you are a sme in in hampshire sometimes understanding the language of economic development the language of government and what it means for you is is quite difficult so how will the how will the freeports go around communicating those wider additional benefits that, that the soul and having a freeport means to the man and woman in the street i think the first thing is that there's some bits of land that everyone knows needs developing and need an injection and of, of money and a coordinated policy to move them forward and that's mm-hmm. true of almost all of our tax sites and this this freeport initiative working with the rating authorities and the councils will allow us to do that so we're going to unlock some land so the first message i would say is we are going to unlock some land and opportunities that weren't there before the second thing is that the government to make sure these things stick when they've been unlocked has allowed us to give um within freeport you get really good tax uh, breaks and really good tax incentives for creating new businesses and creating new jobs so if you're a business that wants to grow and wants to expand have a look at our freeport sites because i would hope that you would find it's the natural place to set up because of those benefits you get and because of all of that we'll have a coordinated policy on skills we're going to carry on working with the local enterprise partnership and we are going to generate the skills locally so some of our funding from the freeport is going to go back into skills development so we're hoping that this will be a long-term pipeline that'll create the geographies that you can expand in will incentivize businesses to come here and we'll do some supply side stuff in making sure we've got the skills around it so i think it's those three things um obviously if you, for the region you then get the retained business rates which is going to drive um, economic prosperity in our region for the next 25 years and and that's a significant sum we're estimating about half a billion over 25 years which is a significant injection in our region in infrastructure and in skills so i've talked about it may be green technology it may be it technology but this is about making our region sustainable and the place to do business in the central south um and what are the bits that keep you awake at night i mean we, we've spoken about a lot of the opportunities that, that go with the freeport but there are challenges as well and some of those that we've alluded to so um what are the what, what do you see as the as the main opportunities that you think the free freeport can can capture but but what are the risks and and, and how might the freeport uh, or par- partners mitigate some of those risks yeah i've talked about change of government policy you one has always got that that risk but i sort of think the way to mitigate that is to be seen to do something that that all local partners buy into Mm. and i think that would allude to to the biggest risk which is that we can't keep the whole region behind this i people tend to look at the south and start off thinking this is about southampton port because in itself it's the it's the biggest thing in our region that people who don't live here think about but actually the new forest water side's got the biggest tax development area uh portsmouth is really vital to this because actually that's the gateway it's also a big uh, military port which brings lots of skills into the area and the dunsbury farm site is ready to go so it's probably quicker to develop so i think my my worry bead is can i keep all the local partners together in this uh, so far we have but uh, as i you know we have we have got three three councils of 
three different political leaderships on our board. We have a, a national park and oil refinery. And uh, as I say, my, my day job is to keep all those people uh, working together. <laughs> um, and you've kind of touched on there. And again, you'll have seen it. Well, you'll have seen it through your day job, but but um, you'll have also certainly seen it through the work that, that local economic partnerships. Sometimes when you talk about programmes of this, um, organisations can can kind of talk about and or or. You know, it, it's one organisation needs to to lead on this, and there's a bit of a, a kind of an internal scrabble. It, it, from my experience, kind of working with you, from what I've seen, there's a lot of complementarity across the councils, their own skills in the lab and, and partners. So that partnership is is very very is very very strong. What's the what's your career taught you about the key to successful partnership working? Oh, definitely work to each other's skills um, and not try and do everything yourself. Uh, so some things I think the Freeport Board will take forward. Some things I think the LEP will take forward in the region and we work very closely with them. Um, yeah. We have cross members on the board. And as you know, I spent eight years on the LEP board. I stood down simply because this Freeport job needed someone's full attention. Um, and also use the council's own economic development arms and their you know, certainly you look at where we are, Hampshire is the hiring authority, where we need old fashioned infrastructure, that's probably the wrong word, traditional infrastructure, bridges, bypasses, things like that, Hampshire will deliver it. So we need to go to them for their strengths in this. And so we need to keep reaching back. I talked about skills earlier. The LEP have spent 10 years developing a local skills panel mm. and got lots of um, business people involved in that. And it would be daft to recreate it. So we're going to carry on working with the LEP and use their skills panel and, and use them to help us understand how to invest for the Freeport skills. So I would like to see us keep doing that. I, I'm conscious that if you look back a decade or so, um, the old RDAs, the regional development organisations, they did lots of good work and they had lots of good people involved. But when they were kind of rejigged into LEPs, what happened was we lost a lot of yes. people enthusiasm. And I really don't want that to happen. You know, LEPs will probably have a future, certainly where there's not a devolved administration. But when there is, let's hope we can keep using the skills of all those people who've been doing things on there so we don't lose it every time there's a change. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's I, I think it's uh, in some ways having a greater degree of certainty around your future and the future of the LEP. Um, and your part of the world provides you with that strength. And I, you know, that's not something that's being replicated nationally, where I think there is that concern around organisations struggling for capacity and expertise and the potential threat of, of that being increased by organisations like LEPs starting to kind of be rolled up or, uh, or, or not being clear on their own future and the uncertainty that that, that, that brings. Yeah, and I, and I think... Um... Uh, as you know, uh, this is um, a non-exec job to me. In my day job, I, right. I work in the defence industry in, in ships, and ships are very long-term programmes. You know, I everyone's aware of the aircraft carrier. I've been involved in that programme for about 15 to 20 years. The aircraft carriers are now in service, but as, as people always talk about, the person who will be the last commanding officer of the aircraft carriers is not yet born, probably. And so that teaches you that if you want long-term programs to stick you've got to build long-term partnerships and relationships and i think one of the reasons that the the freeport board picked me to go on and be chair on this is that understanding of the need for a long-term initiative and a long-term partnership yeah 
And, and what's your career taught you? Because in your day job, you're at the interface of, of, of the public and the private sectors. Um, and clearly on a couple of the non-executive roles, that, that's kind of that that sees you sat in at that conduit as well. So, again, what what has your career taught you about managing that those balances effectively? To understand the, the key thing, I think, for businesses and public and private to work together is for each organisation to understand each other's processes. It's always the key thing I say when I'm negotiating with somebody um, who perhaps comes from a different sector. When they ask for something, the key thing is to ask, why is that important to you? Because often um, the private and public sector fall out because they misunderstand each other's day to day priorities. So somebody jumps to the conclusion that somebody else is doing something for a reason that isn't correct. So it's trying to understand the processes and, and what they have to do that is important you know fundamentally companies are there for the good of their owners shareholders and they have to do the right thing government all civil servants all politicians all elected politicians are there for the good of their electorate the good of the taxpayer mm -hmm. and all of that's absolutely perfectly reasonable it's totally what they should do and what you have to do is align those two things so that people can come up with a plan that that works for the private sector and the public sector so i think it's spending time to understand what the priorities are for each group of individuals and that allows you to stitch together agreements that are genuinely win-win it's a bit of a, a sort of management consultant phrase mm -hmm. but we all know when we've been part of one that win-win agreements work best and stay the longest um is there anywhere I mean, professionally that, that, that you look? Because a lot of what the Freeport's going to be doing is is very, very and should be very, very specific to the Solent region, to, to South Central. But there are there any is there anywhere in the UK globally that you think Solent can learn from or locations and parts of the world where you think now that's quite there's something in there that we could maybe adapt or would would um could work in the Solent. We certainly don't use our water enough for local transport. Um, we've done a little bit of work with um, with uh, Rotterdam and um, we've talked to San Diego and some other regions in the world about how they use their their maritime facilities for local transport. And whilst um, whilst I don't think the Freeport's all about transport, the 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 logistics in our region does hold us back. So I think if we can work on that, and I, I hope that the Freeport and the development, particularly when you look down to Foley Waterside, which sort of geographically is the centre of our area, might unlock an ability to, to get some water transport going here, which would be such a big unlock for the region. And yeah, if you link that with the demand from the cruise ships coming in and people joining them and wanting to go on excursions from there, and you look at the the what the americans call the the littoral as in the the region on the edge of the sea yeah. we've got such a fantastic um visitor economy and and natural capital in the new forest on the isle of wight and a biosphere that if we can if we can link that water to the land in our region and really understand the assets that give we could we could be i think the envy of the world and it's only one sector and the free ports are out more than maritime. But as, as I always say to people, it, we don't really compete with other regions to, to go in that who's got the best thing. So Felix has got an amazing container port. So have we. 
but we also have an amazing marine leisure industry which uh felix Day doesn't mm -hmm. plymouth has a world-class naval base as do we but plymouth has almost no cruise ships at all and we're a world-class cruise cruise port mm -hmm. so you look around the world and we are world-class in about six aspects of maritime as i talked about a cruise port a military port a container port the research we've got in the region, the skills we've got in the region and that environmental stuff. And there is almost no place in the world that does all the things that the Solent does in maritime. So that sense that we're, we're the lead in things, we ought to take more of forward. You can tell I'm enthusiast for the region. We need to stand <laughs> up and be counted on this stuff. <laughs> it's good to see that that bit in the job description that you took, the role that you took on, which was around being an ambassador, you, you've uh, <laughs> you've taken to wholeheartedly, Brian. Um, yeah. you, you, make a, you make a really fascinating point. I remember in my own career talking to a developer once uh, who's an, uh, an international developer and, and uh, was looking at four locations um, and there, their particular niche was around waterfront development and said it's incredible that the UK as an island has historically seems to turn its back to water. Um, if you look at some of our major cities, the development kind of almost the canals and the rivers were all at the back of developments. Um, and he said, you know, uh, it was just an incredibly quite fascinating insight yeah. into maybe our maybe our mentality as a nation at a particular time is that we looked inward rather than at our phenomenal kind of physical attributes well you only have to look where where your office is don't you in uh, in the center of the canal network in birmingham we, we've all known for years that that birmingham has more miles of canals than venice but <laughs> for a lot of our lifetime it's been fenced off hasn't it and now suddenly where you are in the center in brindley place i think isn't it has been created into a an economic and a visitor hub and it uses the water to, as an asset and that's what we need to do in the Solent. Of course we do. Of course, people go on the water all the time. Yeah. But we're only at the beginning of understanding how we could how we could link economic development to that incredible coastal and natural environment we've got. Um, so we're helping you at the moment look for the first chief executive for Solent yep. 3.4. Um, so what are you after? What would what? What would make a perfect chief executive for Solent Freeport um, and what will they find? As I touched on earlier, we need somebody who who has got experience, obviously, in economic development. It could be in the Solent region, could be further afield. I, I think, as I talked earlier, mm. I, I've w lived and worked here for a long time, so I can help people with the with the local issues. Yeah. So we want someone who understands economic development and we want someone who will be able to work with the diverse range of partners we've got. But I really think we have an opportunity here that we I want somebody who who doesn't just see this as a, as another part of their career. This could be the defining part of their career. You know, you look perhaps in a three, five, ten year horizon, and we could change the economic footprint of the Solent by this post. You know, I, I'm in post for three years, maybe a second three, but I'd like to think a chief executive was thinking of at least a five year time down here. And that would be amazing. They could they could do something that would change the face of an area, probably in the way to be fair, that that you bits of the Midland engine or what's happened in somewhere like Manchester has changed in our lifetimes. So I'm looking for somebody who, who who wants to make that kind of generational change by driving the economy and the communities forward. And and we have the tools to allow that person to do that job here. 
Um, yeah. Thank you. Thanks ever so much for your time. Thank you for your insights. Really fascinating. And as I said, I think it's a it's a phenomenally exciting time for the Solent. Um, and as you said, I think this role could be could be career defining. Such an yeah. important part of the UK. So thank you ever so much for your for your time. Brilliant. So thank you to Brian Johnson, the chair of Solent Freeport Consortium. As uh, Brian's just alluded to in our conversation, the Freeports are currently working with us to appoint their first chief executive. And if that is a role that is of particular interest to you or you would be keen to find out more, then please do feel free to get in touch directly with me. But other than that, I hope you've enjoyed our conversation. I hope it's been good listening and uh, thank you for your time again.